you have a Bible, you might like to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9, because we'll get there in a little bit. And as um, if you're regularly here, you'll probably know we're in this little series, which I've called Letters from a Friend, and every sermon will end with a letter, so there's a letter for you this morning. Um, I, I uh, got really excited when I was planning this. Each sermon title has a six-word life story apart from one, which has a typo, so it's seven. And I've had one person point that out to me. Um, you just have to take the A out in the middle, all right, and then it's a six-word life story. But I hope you're looking at them, because maybe they'll give you a clue as to what's going on. So the title of today's talk is Against All Odds, Alive and Well. Many years ago, before the children were born, I got an invitation to a banquet. It wasn't in a house of a friend who put on a posh uh, evening and gave it a title, a banquet, and then got a takeaway in. It wasn't a banquet in a hotel that followed a wedding. It was, in fact, a banquet halfway up a famous mountain. And it was a banquet that literally took over the whole town. It was a banquet that was part of the biggest celebration that I have ever seen. And the truth is, I had absolutely no right to be at the banquet at all. I didn't go to the banquet because of anything I had done or anything I achieved. I didn't go to the banquet because of anything I could contribute. I didn't go to the banquet because of anything that I would be expected to do. I went to the banquet simply because I was invited. The banquet was thrown in celebration of Swatch watches. Anyone wearing a Swatch watch this morning? They might have peaked 20 years ago. (laughs) Swatch watches had become very popular and they had produced their hundred millionth watch. And they actually gave me a gift with 100 million written on a watch. And I thought that's great till I realized that everybody who went to the banquet had the same watch. I gave it away to my mother-in-law, who was non-impressed. But at that point I thought, I can't really ask for it back though, can I? And in celebration of 100 million watches produced, they put on a banquet. They took over the town of Zermatt in Switzerland, and if you ski, you might have been there. They literally took over the town. In that town, on that weekend, there were Swatch watches everywhere. Zermatt, you might know, is situated at the foot of the Matterhorn. And in the evening, there was a banquet for somewhere near 2,000 people. Jean-Michel Jarre, do you remember him? He was there, he put a concert on, they put sheets on all the houses, and he had his lasers and his fireworks all up the mountain, and it was fantastic. 2,000 people. I knew nothing about Swatch Watches, and had nothing to do with them as the company. At that time, Lisa used to work for a business magazine in a duty-free industry, and she wrote articles about Swatch Watches. Lisa went to the banquet because Swatch Watches wanted her to write about them. I went to the banquet simply because I was invited. I went with nothing, but I ate like a king. I did nothing to deserve it, but I was treated like royalty. 
It's a lovely story to remember, but it's also a story that echoes a deep, profound, and wonderful truth. And it echoes a deep, profound, and wonderful truth about you. Each one of you. There's a banquet to which you have been invited. There's a banquet to which you have been invited, although you have done absolutely nothing to deserve it. There's a table to which you need to bring absolutely nothing. There's a table at which you are treated like royalty. Perhaps this story will help you. 2 Samuel chapter 9, beginning to read at verse 1. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. This is an extraordinary story. At this point, David has been king of Israel for somewhere around 20 years. The kingdom of Israel is now 10 times bigger than it was when David became king. He has been successful in battle and Israel is at peace. And then David asks a bizarre question. He asks if there are any of Saul's house who are left to whom he can show kindness. This is bizarre. Because in ancient times, the first thing a king would do when he came to the throne was kill anybody who might take his throne, which would be the whole family of any previous king. A new king wanted no threat to his rule and his kingdom, so he would destroy the family and any heirs of the previous king. But David wants to show kindness to Saul's family. David, 20 years or so on, wants to keep a promise that he made to his friend Jonathan. Jonathan, you will remember, was David's great and true friend, son of King Saul. When Saul was trying to find and kill David, it was Jonathan who pledged to save David. And in return, he asked one thing of David. And in 1 Samuel 20, verse 15, we read this. This is Jonathan speaking. Do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. Do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. That's the NIV. The New Century translation writes it this way. You must never stop showing kindness to my family, even when the Lord has destroyed all your enemies from the earth. Now, years later, David remembers that moment with Jonathan, remembering that he was saved by another. When he was weak, David needed another to save him. Friends, doesn't that have echoes of a deep and profound truth about you? When you are weak, don't you need somebody else to save you? 
So now, in response to kindness and a promise, David asks about Saul's family. And the response he gets may be somewhat surprising, because the answer is, yes, there is. There is a son of Jonathan who is lame in both feet. Now turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 4, and I'm going to read verse 4. 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan, that's their death, came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. You'll notice, if you have a look at that text, that that one verse is in brackets. Well, it is in my Bible. Is it in brackets in your Bible? Yeah, it's in brackets. Jonathan, Jonathan's son, heir to the throne, only appears in brackets. This verse only tells us a couple of things about this young boy. First, it tells us he suffered a fall when dropped by his nurse. It tells us that that fall left him crippled. And it tells us that his name was Mephibosheth. He lived in a town called Lodibar, which actually means barren place. And he appears in brackets. I wonder if there are echoes here of a story about you. Or maybe me. Living in the consequences of, of a fall that has left us not how we would like to be. Maybe life has left its scars, some of which you've carried for a long, long time. Ever felt you hardly appear in brackets? When David the king hears of Mephibosheth, he wonder how he's going to respond. Perhaps seeing that he is a threat, or that he's no threat, he will let Mephibosheth live in peace. Perhaps if he was thinking of inviting him to the palace, he'll have second thoughts. After all, let's be true, uh, a cripple won't look good in a place of wonder and grandeur, will he now? Turn back with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9, reading from verse 4. Where is he? the king asked. Zeba answered, he is at the house of Machir son of Amiel, in Lodibar. So King David had him brought from Lodibar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops, so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, the grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever the Lord King commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. 
Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. It's actually an extraordinary story. Far from treating Mephibosheth as others would expect or think he deserves, David welcomes him as a son. David returns to Mephibosheth all his inheritance. David invites four times in the text Mephibosheth to eat at his table. Always. Mephibosheth, bracketed, living in the consequences of a fall, crippled, scarred, hiding and living in fear of the king, is invited to the table. Mephibosheth, who had nothing to bring, ate like a king at the king's banquet. Mephibosheth, who did nothing to deserve it, is treated like royalty. I wonder, friends, can you see deep echoes of your story in his story? I'm wondering that if you could, then you might be transformed like the life of the cripple called Mephibosheth. For there is another king who reaches out to you in his magnificent kindness. A king who has never forgotten his promise to you. A king who invites you to his table to join his banquet. Ian, is it possible to... Oh, uh, it's not Ian, it's Mark. Mark, is it possible to get that picture on the screen? Is that... I don't know where, Oh, lovely. Right, you might, you might remember this picture from uh, three weeks ago. This is a picture painted by a 15th century Russian artist, Andrei Rublev. It's called The Trinity. And um, you might be able to see it below the cup on the tablecloth. There's a little rectangle. Some scholars think that there may have been a mirror on that tablecloth. This is Eastern Orthodox art, which in my opinion is much better than Western Orthodox art when it portrays the Trinity. Often you get a picture of a cross with Jesus on it, a dove flying around somewhere, and then usually a picture of a man, old man with a beard usually, portraying the Trinity. That's the Western way of doing it. This is the Eastern way of doing it. Three people sitting around a table in communion. What a lovely picture. And when you look at that picture, and there's a mirror at the table, who appears in the picture well you do of course because you are invited to the banquet of the king so the invitation this morning is this I'm going to read a letter from a friend The story of Mephibosheth may have deep echoes for your life. And as I read this letter and you look at that picture, imagine yourself invited to the banquet of the king. Dear Mephibosheth, to my beloved, 
especially the precious ones who feel broken, crippled, let down, forgotten. To my beloved, especially those who have lived or are living today in fear. To my beloved, especially those who have lived or are living with the shame of who they think they are. To you, to all of you, yes, to you, I want you, especially you, to know today that you are the gift that I want. You. Just you. Exactly you. And nothing else but you. I want you to know that I have prepared my banqueting table and I am ready. I have prepared my banqueting table with all the riches of the kingdom of the heavens. I am really excited as I look out on the table that I have prepared. I am really excited because I have left nothing undone. I have left nothing out. I have thought of everything. This is my table. This is my finest table. This is my finest banquet. I am ready. And I am prepared. So all my table needs is you. Yes, you. And here's the thing I'm most excited about. I want you to join me at the table. Yes, you. As you are. I have done all this for you. I am ready for you. I have set a banquet for you. For you. As you are. You are invited. So I hope you come. Come and dine. Come and enjoy. Come. As you are. I know this is hard for you, so very hard. I know what you think of yourself. I do. I really do. I have seen the things that have made things so hard for you. I have been watching when you have been forgotten or ignored. I have been closer than you know when you have felt abandoned and alone. I have been near and felt your agony when you have chosen to hide your real self. I understand the pain you have felt when you have been misunderstood. My heart has been broken when you have wrestled with how your body is and how you wish you could live in a different one. I know how cruel the world can be and I have been close, so close, watching, waiting and loving you. Yes, you, 
as you are. I know how you compare yourself with others and how you so often feel insignificant, not good enough. I see how sometimes feelings of resentment get the better of you and how you long for things to be different. I hear the cry of your heart for change to come and I watch how you wrestle with your disappointment when it doesn't. But you are the gift I want at the table and the banquet. And I invite you to come. I invite you to come because the banner over my banqueting table is love. My love for you. My immense love for you. Yes, you. You are very welcome in the presence of the King. I long for nothing more than your presence at my table. I want you to know that my banqueting table is not far off. It's much better than that. Much better. My table is in the presence of your enemies. My table is with you wherever you are. My table is present in the moments you most fear, in the moments you most want to hide. You don't need to wait. You don't need to be changed. I want you to come and sit at the banqueting table in the midst of all that you carry. And I promise to meet you there. I promise to meet you there because my banner over you is love. The table is ready. The banquet is waiting. I am waiting for you.